Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. This is the podcast where Mike and I watch movies separately, talk about them on the show for the first time. Sometimes Mike picks a movie, sometimes I pick a movie. I pick this week's movie. I am so, so gung-ho excited to talk about this. Mike, what movie are we doing? We're doing Le Salaire de la Père, which means The Wages of Fear, which is uh, it's a movie by Henri-Georges Clouseau from uh, 1953. We've done one of his movies before. Uh, which was Diabolique, which we really liked. Um, and it stars uh, Yves Montand. And uh, the it was a novel written by Georges Arnaud. Excellent I, Can you imagine, like, can you imagine reading this novel? Reading the novel, right? Chap- I, I want to know how long it is. I want to yeah. know how long. I hope it's 700 pages. <laughs> well, that's, the movie feels like it's 700 pages because it puts you through the ringer. And that's a compliment. So, you know, I absolutely love this movie. I mean, you know, Although I drive through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no potholes. And also, did you notice that we have a Mario and Luigi in this movie? Did you notice that? We do. Yes, we do. But it is not Rainbow Road. So in part one, we always talk about our overall take on the movie. Since it was my pick, Mike, you get to go first. Mike, you've just seen this. Overall take on this movie, go. This is the ultimate bait and switch. Uh, This is really, truly a movie in two parts where you can sense the change in dynamic once the action really starts. But boy, are you lulled into a false sense of security. This movie tries to let you think that you know what's going on. And then as soon as you become acclimated to the world of the movie, it immediately takes you out of it until you wish you were back. And uh, yeah, th- this is this is a knuckle clencher. This is, um, I don't know, there, there's something about this guy, Clouseau. Uh, I mean, he's he's just as good as Alfred Hitchcock. This is as good as any alfred hitchcock thriller and maybe kind of dances on the edge of tension slightly better and maybe with a little bit less humor yeah it's definitely humorless i mean this is a you look up grim film in the in the dictionary of film and there's this poster is there you said about the world of the movie what's funny is that people that aren't that don't know the film always say the same thing they say well the first hour you got to get through the first hour it's a lot of setup and then you get to the truck stuff but I think the first hour is wonderful. I think it's I think it's terrific. And I think he does such a good job. Let's talk about you said the world of the movie. And you love to talk about world building in our episodes. Like think about the world of the movie. The first thing you see is that kid playing with the roaches tied together, mm-hmm. which of course reminds me of the wild bunch with the scorpions and the ants and stuff. And you think about where they are, right? It's hot. Um, the old guy's throwing stones at the dog. Everyone's just hanging around. Like everyone's tired and bored and they're hungry and they're not citizens. Like nobody goes there. Nobody can leave. There's that customs guy with the stamp. I'll just put tourist who has his foot up on the desk, right? Um, Mario says, yeah, this place, uh, it's full of bugs, leprosy, and hunger. And he keeps, do you remember what Mario keeps on the wall by his pinup girls? His little ticket. Yeah, his little train ticket, right? Like that's as exciting for him as a picture of a beautiful woman. This idea that this this other place exists. There's Bernardo, the Italian kid who says, oh, my visa is going to expire, but I don't have enough money to get back. And he's the one that ends up hanging himself. Um, Joe, who we'll talk about, I'm sure, a lot more. Joe ends up there because he only had $50. He was in trouble. It's the only plane ticket he could get. And it reminded me very much, doesn't it remind you of the beginning of Treasure of Sierra Madre? 
Yeah, there's I mean, there's there's other movies that this reminds me of, but it's it's sort of the dr- collected dregs of society. Yeah, it's like um, if Casablanca were not trying to be charming. Yeah, there's no Rick's Cafe ever. Like even though even though Casablanca in that film was a dangerous place, everybody that watches Casablanca says, "Man, I would love to go have a drink at Rick's Cafe Americom." Yeah, absolutely. I've already been looking at uh, foreign flights. You know, but nobody <laughs> wants to fly to this movie. Yeah. In Casablanca, remember, she says, someday we'll be on that plane. And here, when the plane comes, it flies really low. Hope and not. Then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't want to end up on that plane. And it's also great because the the mission they get is totally meaningless, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane. But they do. But they do a great job, as you just kind of delineated of setting the stage of why you'd want $2,000, right? So they make you want it. They make you want it because that's actually enough to get home and then to have some money to spend when you get home. So if if you want out of here, that's what you got to do. That's like um, what, you know, when they're stuck and you put the sticks under the tires to create some traction, that's what, that's a thousand dollars each tire. Yeah. I mean, it's like it puts you that first hour puts you in a spot where you think, what are you going to do? You're going to drive nitroglycerin. And the answer is, this is crazy. I know, but there's no other options. And it doesn't matter that it's for the the big evil oil company. Right. So I thought about how, you know, other movies we've done and movies we love. Right. The mission here is not Seven Samurai, where you have to protect the villagers from the bandits. Right. It's not the Dirty Dozen where you have to take out the full Nazi you know, team of generals. It's not Private Ryan where you have to find Matt Damon, right? And then when the fire starts, remember that guy O'Brien? He's like, um, we'll just blame the victims. They they can't do anything anyway. And when they have the, I love when the the Southern Oil guys have the meeting and they're like, these bums don't have a union. Eventually, their, their plan is to just keep sending out trucks until one truck makes it through and they can put the fire out. So like the humans are like the roaches in the beginning, but you get so sucked into it. Well, it's also, I think, a movie about the triumph of human ingenuity, the same way that, say, um, Castaway, you know, is yeah. a movie about, you know, human ingenuity and, and triumph, right? It's like, what if I've just left you alone, even if you were on a meaningless mission and nothing meant anything, would you keep doing things? Would you keep, w- would your imagination try to triumph, right? But there's that part where they find the rock and they start complaining and the one guy's going to cry and the other guy just starts to make a plan because he realizes that he's driving a truck full of nitroglycerin which to me that that's exactly like Robinson Crusoe in trucks totally Robinson Crusoe in trucks right because as you know because I know you're a fan of that novel as well people that haven't read Robinson Crusoe think it's going to be this psychological portrait of what it means to be alone and to face your mortality there's maybe like a page of that the whole book is here is how i made a fence here's how i did a k-turn <laughs> exactly and then we watched the k-turn right and can we also talk about this have you ever seen a movie about modes of transportation where the whole trick of the movie is that they move slowly like transportation is supposed to go fast in movies it's supposed to be like you know smoking the bandit we did the french connection we did, like the road warrior right here you have cars or trucks that that the fastest they get is like 40 kilometers an hour but most of the time they're inching and the suspense is so thick yeah and i think the point of the movie is that it's more difficult to do that because it takes it takes a certain kind of nerve to do that right you what if you had to do a repetitive task but you could not zone out or you couldn't go to the place in your head where you turn on the radio the one the one guy starts to play the harmonica and the other guy says you brought it and then he plays the harmonica for like 30 seconds and then that's it 
Right. Because I know you've had the experience too. All of our listeners have had this too. You pull in your driveway after work and you're like, oh, I'm home. Yeah. Because on the way home, like you're listening to a, a book or a podcast, 15 minute film fanatics, or you, you otherwise occupy your time. But what if you had to pay attention to the boring act of driving? It's, it's torture, isn't it? And especially when you're developing a new routine, you know, but, but then you don't have to move other people's cars out of the way, which, you know, there's, this movie is just, this movie knows what you want and refuses to give it to you. It, it It's it's almost as though consciously they made a list of all the things that people like in movies and then refuse to give it to you. It's like the love story, that's out. Uh, you know, the, the ending, that's out. Uh, the satisfaction of the good explosions at the right time, like that's out. Friendship, nope. Uh, actual meaning, no. Politics, zero. Like, and right, all these all these things seem to take place in a vacuum but they create meaning through kind of the grammar of cinema because you can't help but be caught in and just want obstacles out of the way. I mean, it's a, it's a movie that's about obstacles in the least metaphorical way I could possibly think. It's just people want to get a place. They can't get that place because there's literally stuff in the way. You have either have to move it or drive around it or blow it up. And that's the movie. Very true, but the movie also illustrates a lot about human nature, right? I mean, about the like the, about the the way people approach those obstacles in life. Absolutely. Well, it's about their it's about their dynamics as they drive as they drive two by two, which are very different when they arrive where they're supposed to get, as opposed to how they start out. Well, let's talk about their dynamics. I mentioned him before. What do you make of Joe? He's the super criminal who gets off the plane, who turns out to be the biggest coward, you know, of the bunch of them. He's the dramatization of what happens when you get a reputation for a certain thing. But the things that you had to do to garner that reputation have broken you down over time, right? He says, you're lucky I'm old. And that may actually be true. He may actually be lucky that he's old. We don't we don't actually know, but he's got a bad reputation or a good reputation, depending on who you are, if you're Mario. But uh, he can't fulfill it anymore. Um, and and that's why he starts off driving. We feel very impressed when he checks out the truck and seems to know what to check out and does his inspection of the truck. And then it turns out that he can't drive it. Well, of course, his reputation also works on us, too, because we totally believe that hook, line and sinker. When he gets off the plane, didn't he remind you? I'm going to throw something at you to get a reaction. Ready? Don Finucci in Godfather 2. He is Don Finucci. Is he? With the suit and everything. And he's got his little fly swatter and he gets off the plane and he says to the other guy, pay for the taxi, but he doesn't have any money. He sees O'Brien. He knows O'Brien and he threatens him with dynamite. Um, everyone's starving. He gets a haircut <laughs> because he wants to look good, right? So um, there's that bit where he he has the standoff with Luigi in the bar when Luigi wants to buy champagne. They're fighting over the radio and Joe's like, he gives him the gun. Remember, he gives him the gun. He goes, go ahead. He goes, you know, a gun's not enough. You need guts. Plus, remember how he gets the job? Yeah, the uh, the other guy just doesn't yeah. show up. He kills the guy. He kills um, Smirloff, the old German with the checkered shirt. And as soon as they're into it, he's like, is it cold? Is it hot? I'm freezing. I wipe my forehead. And after a few kilometers, he's like, "We have." To, he wants to stop and have his snack. And, Eve's, and Mario's like, we got another. This is, we've been driving for like 10 minutes, right? And at the end of the movie, though, when he's dead, remember, the guy tells Mario, Oh, he was a good guy and he was tough too. Welcome back. So in part two, of course, we always talk about our key moments. So Dan, what do you got? My moment is when Luigi goes to the doctor 
And with the advanced medical technology there, the doctor listens to his his breathing through the stethoscope and he tells him, like, you have to stop your job as a, as a mason or a cement worker because you have cement in your lungs. And Luigi says, well, how much time do I have? Like classic joke setup. But he says, I don't know, three months, six months, a year. So that's what makes him decide to take the job of driving the truck. And the thing that I think is so sobering about that is that he makes it, he takes the job, he makes it to the trial. Cause remember, they all have to audition. I love that. What's your occupation? They all say truck driver. So they make it through the audition. He makes it through the challenges, blowing up the rocket and everything. And do you remember that Mario and Joe see the other, they see the smoke from the other truck. You don't get to see the truck blow up. You don't get a moment of them in the, the cab of the truck before. It's just, it's just gone. And you think about what that suggests about human beings. He does all that to avoid his fate, but then poof, it's, you're gone. You don't even get to die on screen. And he's talking the whole time to the other guy, um, uh, Bimba, about, I mean, I'm going to get a pretty wife and I'm going to leave and go back and finally get out of here. And then you're just gone. Remember, they get to the scene of the explosion later, Mario and Joe get there, and the tops of the trees are all gone where the explosion happened, where the, where the pipeline got ruptured. But the truck is, there's not a trace of them. The most they find is they find the guy's cigarette holder. Well, I'll and tell you also the translation uh, is not great on the Criterion version. What he actually says is they flew away. Oh, really? That's great. They flew away, right? So it, the movie suggests that you can make all these great plans and you can cheat death because the doctor says you're going to die, but you can't cheat death because, and this is such a buzzkill thing, but it's already in you. So the thing that's going to kill you is like right at your back. It's not, it's not out there somewhere to meet you someday, like fate. Um, it's already like, it's sitting right behind you. It's in the same truck as you. And you don't know when you're going to hit that pothole, right? We, you know, the line, um, death is going to come like a thief in the night. And everyone says that, oh yeah, I know that I understand that it's, but it's still like a theoretical thing. And this movie shows you what that's like. And, and it's so horrifying. And it reminds me of when I watched it again, what Mario was doing a lot of times in the movie. Remember he's flipping a coin. Cause that's what the universe is like, man. Like you make it through these unbelievable things and then boom, your, your truck blows up. Well, you remember also that they flipped a coin to decide what truck they're going to be. Yeah, in. Yeah, right. And then, so, and, and, then and they actually, they, they got the wrong. They got the wrong truck. Whatever yeah. it is that they hit, they should have blown up. But it's that they were impatient uh, behind them and said, and "Luigi said, no, 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 just move aside so we can go." Right. And that's that's actually when they that's when they died, if you will. That's that's when the thing was set in motion that killed them. Although, as you said, it's it's already in them. And I I think the reason that we're also cavalier is because we all have an accumulated experience of having survived days. So I understand intellectually what you're telling me, but my experience of the world is such that I always go to bed at night and I always wake up in the morning so far. And and that that's that has a, a marked effect on everybody's personality. Well, of course, they're dead, like you said, even before they switch to the trucks, they're dead when the movie starts, you know, and that's why at the end, it's so horrifying when the two guys, when Joe and Mario are driving and they're covered, they, they're covered in primordial ooze. They're like these ur creatures, right? And then Joe says, I smell like a corpse. Do you smell that? He's like, no, no, which by the way, that scene is totally where Quentin Tarantino got the opening of Reservoir Dogs from. It's got to be. That is exactly the opening of Reservoir Dogs, right? But they're dead when this movie begins. They're walking corpses and they keep thinking all four of them think they're going to cheat death and none of them do. And that's like, it's such a sobering, sobering 
thing that the movie makes you realize when it's over and you're dwelling upon it later when you're driving your truck around. But yeah, of course, you can only look, you can watch an hour of them waiting around in town. And I love the beginning of this movie and it is great. But you can watch an hour and a half, right? So the the, the second half of the movie feels shorter than yes. when they're in town. And so even if they're stuck in some kind of strange purgatory, there's clearly a difference, not just cinematically uh, or in my experience of it, there's some kind of difference in in struggling and flailing against it. Yeah, and so I, I think it's it's the tension that makes meaning. So I'll give you an example of that from my moment, which is um, Mario sees Luigi's body, right? Louis, when they blow up the rock, Luigi runs back because they they have a sudden realization. They say, oh my God, it's going to shower. It's essentially going to hail down on us with all the nitroglycerin. So somebody has to go stop it. So Luigi starts to run uh, and it blows up while he's in mid stride. And they think that he's got to be full of shrapnel but he's not, he's hit the deck and conked his head or something, but he's totally fine. And they haven't, um, you'll notice in the scene before, Mario tries to put his arm around Luigi and he moves it aside. But then when he finds out that he's not dead, all of a sudden they're hugging and kissing each other and, and they're best friends again, you know, and, and roommates again, because there is something about the understanding that the truck could blow up at any minute that that creates meaning for us or that you only get a certain amount of miles and that's really how we understand the significance of of human life on earth right we put we we all we all know there's a, a limited number of miles but we put it out of our mind we pretend that it's unlimited but of course you know um someone said i forgot what poet is someone said death is the mother of beauty i forgot who said that but that the reason we think things are beautiful is because we know that our time is finite and that we know that th that things are transitory. So of course, I mean, he may as well, they should be hugging each other every day. They should be hugging each other all the time. We made it, we made it. But it's only when, you know, um, that when the nonsense of the equation is stripped down and you've reduced, like Thoreau said, life to its lowest terms, like these guys have, that you really appreciate what, what a thread we all hang by. Welcome back. In part three, we talk about the ending and the title. A lot to say about each of these. Mike, where do you want to start? I mean, which, so the question would be which ending, because I feel like the, this movie has more endings than Return of the King. So there's the ending when he gets, he actually delivers the truck and realizes that Joe is dead. And then the ending where they send him back. And then the ending where in town, they say Mario's on his way back. And then of course, the real ending where he's truck dancing. I don't I know a better way to uh, to express that that thought or idea and how shocking is it that the to find out that those trucks have had radios the whole time <laughs> so you know because i thought like is that a different truck and then the, well there's no significance in the movie if it's a different truck it's got to be the same truck just now not be. with not with not with nitro um and and of course uh you know spoiler alert for our listeners as always but mario of course drives off a cliff and that's right. Right. And then you're waiting for the movie to end. Somebody clearly somebody's going to comment on that or we're going to we're going to find his girlfriend, find it. Finn. 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 It just ends. And of course, that's what uh, to our listeners after Mike watched it, he sent me a one word text that said unhinged. And my answer was in capital letters. Finn. Finn. And that's it. It just goes to his hand with the ticket in there and says, this is what you're going to get. So it's funny you said truck dancing because there's that moment as a viewer where you're like, just drive normally. Stop doing that. But I got the sense that, you know, he's he's totally clean. 
um, which he looks different, right? He's got $4,000 now because they give him Joe's money and they say that's what Joe would have wanted. So he's got $4,000. He's going to go back. He's going to get the pretty girl. He's going to escape. But you want to scream to him, stop driving like that. Like you just drove this whole way very carefully. But I got the sense that he's so exuberant because he thinks he's cheated death. He thinks he's the guy that did it and got away with it. And then the movie, the universe of the movie is so cruel that it says, you know what? I'm going to teach you a little lesson. It's that when he begins to act with the aura of invincibility, right? When he inches forward, he actually is invincible. When he thinks he's invincible, he dies. And that's that that's what it is. And so you, you can either you can either suffer in the moment and actually be invincible, or you can act without suffering and then incur suffering. And that's that's it. Those are the two choices. That's the heads and tails of the coin. The thing he forgets is what Joe tells him when Joe is explaining why he's so afraid. He tells Mario, you lack imagination. You don't have any imagination. And Mary says, what do you mean? And Joe says, I've seen myself die 50 times already since last night. At the end of the movie, and again, not to push this point too much, although I'm about to, like all of us, like all of us, right? Mario cannot imagine, right, that 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 this is his day. Because as you said, he's got enough wake-ups and sleeps. This is his day. He cannot imagine that. And, and of course, that is the cruelty of the fin. I've known a lot of old older men in my life that are uh they're like two three years away you know what i mean and so and it but it always does actually look great yeah i don't know if you've had this experience maybe this has nothing to do with the film but um it's as though he kind of ages all the way through the film until he reaches that point of life where you just kind of like wake up and drink coffee and say hello to people but that's the you know what i mean but that's right. the end so you can either you can either like suffer the the beginning and crawl through everything and actually have a lot of time or you can just enjoy the ride but you you have about five minutes left jerry seinfeld has that gag where he talks about how um um what age do you have to be until you finally just back out of the driveway without looking which is it that's what he does he just he's driving around mountainous uh cliff roads uh swinging the truck right to left because it's fun it's because it's exuberant to drive like that or to drive. That's why people, you know, rent convertibles when they're on vacation because they think they're James Bond or something. There's a certain exuberant. And of course, movies have taught us that about driving, right? So that's, I just mentioned James Bond, like, like it would be fun to have a car with a bunch of gadgets. So car makers try to put gadgets in their car, but we've been told that driving fast is thrilling and it's adrenaline and all these kinds of things. And, and that's, you know, it's called the fast and the furious, those movies. It's not called like the slow and the careful. This, this movie is the slow and the careful, the slow and the careful. So what do you make of the title? Well, obviously I hear, I'm sure what you hear in the background, which is that the wages of sin is death. Right. And this movie is called, you know, the, the salary of fear or the, or the wages of fear, uh, which is a perfect. It, I mean, it's almost like the structure of the movie. There's not even that much irony in the title. No. There's in fact, there's right. There's about as much irony in the title as there is um, characters encountering obstacles, but they're actually literally physical obstacles. And I think that there's something primal about this movie for that reason. I think the more that I kind of think about it, the more it has in in common with Robinson Crusoe uh, it, it, in, in actual terms. It's about, as you said, reducing reducing life, reducing film to the lowest possible terms, right? You, you come to identify with characters, all you want is for them to have an obstacle-free path. They live in as far as that there is an obstacle-free path, 
And then when there's no obstacles, they die. Or or at least it's over. It's Finn. Who know who knows if they die or what I, you know. But but it's it's over. There's nothing more to watch. The title made me think of the idea that they're all being paid f- to be afraid. You, you get put in a spot where the only way to, to continue living is to do something that's going to scare the hell out of you and bring you inches within your own death. And that's, of course, that, you know, what are the wages? If the wages of sin are death, the wages of fear are also death, right? You know what this also reminded me of? But it's imagine if Daniel Plainview were in charge of, of SOC, he would have given that job or he would have driven the trucks himself. Absolutely. I actually, I, I hope he comes out of retirement and makes um and makes there will be blood too. Thanks for listening, everybody, to our conversation about the wages of fear. You could follow us on Twitter or X as it's now called at 15MIN Film. You could find us on the New Books Network page. You could just Google that and find us on there under Academic Partners. And you could also find us where, Mike? Letterboxd. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.